Welcome to All Places Together. Here we believe that our stories are connected to one another and rooted in God's radical love for diverse creation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. Here's a story for you. A story called Into and Out of. There's nothing like the feeling of beginning a new season of life when you know that you are in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. That feeling of satisfaction that comes when the stars seem to align perfectly. Or at least enough of the stars align so that life seems really good. After all, nothing is ever perfect. There is a shadow side to most things in life. But the contentment, peace, and hope that the right place, right time, right thing offers is pretty stellar. Maybe you've had that experience when you've started a new academic program, a new job, moved to a new city, or even entered into retirement. Maybe you felt this way when you became a parent or an aunt or uncle, a grandparent. Maybe falling in love with your life partner or finding the perfect group of friends that became family has made you feel this way too. Sadly, one of those shadow sides to the right place, right time, right thing is that it usually doesn't stay right forever. Something changes so the situation isn't as ideal as it was in the beginning. It could be something about the place, the time, the thing that shifts so that it no longer goes together quite as well as it did before. Or it could be you. You have grown. You have changed such that you no longer fit the situation. When this happens, it may be time to end that season and move on to the next. Of course, this isn't as easy as saying that, right? Leaving behind a place, leaving behind relationships, leaving behind a career or even a church can be exceedingly difficult. I think this is compounded when you were very happy or fulfilled or satisfied there at one point. Though I don't know that leaving a situation that has been difficult, toxic, or even abusive is any easier. It certainly can be more complicated. Over the next two episodes, we're going to dig into two biblical story arcs that speak to these transitions. Going into something and then coming out of it, followed by how we go into the next thing after all that. One arc is from the Hebrew Testament, and then the other is from the New Testament. We're starting with the Hebrew Testament today. The story of the Hebrew people going into and then coming out of Egypt is a defining narrative within the Hebrew Testament, particularly that last part, the part about coming out of Egypt. It's a story that has become a cornerstone in how the Hebrew people understand their God. It became an annual ritual that they celebrated for generations and still celebrate today. It's a long setup to get there, so hang in there with me. This leaving part, which is often referred to as the Exodus, is told in a book by the same name, Exodus. And it's been more of the focus in the preaching and teaching that I have encountered, at least. 
there isn't as much preaching and teaching about how the Hebrew people got into Egypt in the first place. And that's exactly where I want to dig into today. It's where we're going to start. Because the Hebrew people weren't brought as enslaved people into Egypt. They didn't end up in Egypt by chance. They ended up in Egypt because that's how God saved them. The story arc begins with the family of Jacob, who is the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. Jacob has four wives, Leah, Rachel, Billah, and Zilpah. You can learn about these women in our upcoming Bible group on the women of Genesis. So a little plug there. And so through these relationships, Jacob has fathered 11 sons and one daughter. The youngest son, Joseph, is sold into slavery by his older brothers because of their jealousy. Complicated family dynamics here. So this is the Joseph of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. You may know that play, that musical. So a lot of events unfold, and eventually Joseph becomes an advisor to the Pharaoh. He gets there because he gained recognition while he was in jail, for being able to accurately interpret dreams. Like, if you've never read Joseph's entire story from the book of Genesis, I'd really encourage you to do so. It's, like, incredible. So anyhow, Joseph is there as an advisor to Pharaoh, and he interprets a series of Pharaoh's dreams to mean that a famine is coming. He predicts that there's going to be seven good years of harvests and then seven years of famine. Pharaoh listens to Joseph, heeds the warning, and the Egyptians begin to stockpile food for the coming famine. Then when the famine began, Pharaoh tasked Joseph with overseeing the grain distribution. People from many countries were coming to Egypt to buy grain because there wasn't anywhere else to get any. Joseph's family was starving too. And so when his father heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sends his 10 eldest sons to buy grain in Egypt. By then, Jacob had fathered a 12th son, Benjamin, and Benjamin and Joseph shared a mother named Rachel. Joseph's brothers don't recognize him when they get into Egypt, but he recognizes all of them. Joseph then puts into motion this really elaborate plan to be able to meet his full brother, Benjamin, that will ultimately lead to saving his family from famine. It's a lot of drama, a few chapters long, but it ends with this portion that I'm going to read next. This is where Joseph finally reveals his identity to his brothers and offers them salvation. I'm reading from Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 to 15 in the Common English Bible. Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they moved closer. He said, I, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. Now don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me here. Actually, God sent me before you to save lives. We've already had two years of famine in the land, and there are five years left without planting or harvesting. 
God sent me before you to make sure you'd survive and to rescue your lives in this amazing way. You didn't send me here. It was God who made me a father to Pharaoh, master of his entire household, and ruler of the whole land of Egypt. Hurry, go back to your father. Tell him that this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You may live in the land of Goshen, so you will be near to me. Your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and everyone with you. I will support you there so you, your household, and everyone with you won't starve since the famine will still last five years. You and my brother Benjamin have seen with your own eyes that I'm speaking to you. Tell my father about my power in Egypt and about everything you've seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. He threw his arms around his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his shoulder. He kissed all of his brothers and wept and embracing them. After that, his brothers were finally able to talk to him. Joseph's life story is exceedingly complicated. It's marked with deep family dysfunction, betrayal, abuse, scandal, imprisonment, and separation from his family and culture. Yet Joseph does not hold anything against his brothers for setting him on this path by selling him into slavery. In fact, he attributes all of this to God. This particular verse is stunning to me when Joseph straight up says, Don't feel bad about selling me. God had a plan to save us all. God worked through these hard things to ensure our survival. That's exactly what happens, too. All 70 members of Joseph's extended family move into Egypt at his invitation. And at this point, Joseph has worked his way so far up within the Egyptian leading culture there with Pharaoh that he doesn't even need to ask permission to do it. It's only after that Joseph has told them to come that he tells Pharaoh, like, by the way, my whole family is moving in. And this Pharaoh is exceedingly supportive. He says in Genesis 47, 5, since your father and brothers have arrived, the land of Egypt is available to you. Settle your father and brothers in the land's best location. Let them live in the land of Goshen, and if you know capable men among them, put them in charge of my own livestock. They are given land, they are given jobs, they are given security and food. They exit famine and enter into a time of well-being. The story of Joseph, Jacob, and their family continues until the end of the book of Genesis at the close of chapter 50. But the moment of salvation for them is when they move into Egypt. They are saved from certain death by starvation. They are welcomed by the Egyptians and they are able to make a home there and a life there. But it doesn't stay that way forever. Over time, Joseph's family grows from 70 people 
to a number that would be difficult to count. The first chapter of Exodus, the very next book in the Bible after Genesis, sets the scene about what is now happening to this family now that it has grown into a nation. It's been several generations and at least one new pharaoh. And this new pharaoh does not feel as fondly about the descendants of Joseph. In fact, this new pharaoh decided to enslave the entire Hebrew people because they have become too large in number. He's afraid that they will join with the enemies of Egypt if war were to break out. He wants to control and oppress them so that he can be in charge of the country. Eventually, the Pharaoh instructs the midwives who attend the Hebrew women to kill the baby boys as a means of population control. It's in to this situation that a Hebrew boy named Moses is born. In order to save his life, Moses' mother floats him down the river in a basket, hoping that he will find a better life. Moses' big sister Miriam kept an eye on the basket and watched as the Egyptian princess found him and fell in love with baby Moses. Moses was adopted into the Egyptian royal family and was raised a prince. He becomes a part of the enslaving people that was actively oppressing his biological family and people. Despite this, and despite some other bad choices that Moses makes along the years, the God of Abraham and Sarah comes to Moses and tells him that Moses is going to lead the people out of Egypt. I'm skipping over a lot of years there. So again, if you've not read the full story of Moses in Exodus, I encourage you to do too. It's also an incredible story. You see, Moses had fled from his Egyptian adoptive family and life and settled in a place called Midian. He married a Midian woman named Zipporah. And one day, as Moses was tending his father-in-law's flock, God appeared to Moses in a burning bush located at the edge of the desert. And this is what happens. This is Exodus 3, verses 7 to 10, again from the Common English Bible. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What had been a place of salvation has become a place of oppression and suffering. God brought Jacob's family into Egypt to save them, 
And now God was going to bring them out of Egypt to save them again. The exodus process was a process and journey marked with bloodshed and sorrow. While the Israelites initially rejoiced at that liberation, it wasn't long before they were lamenting the loss of the stability of life that they had enjoyed in Egypt. God said that God was making good on that first promise made to Abraham and Sarah, the promise of a land to call their own. But the road to the promised land was marked with difficulty, conflict, and the same meal for nearly every day for 40 years. I share these two stories side by side because they are so connected. And I think when we hear them together, we can find grace for ourselves. I hope that you can find grace for yourself for those times when you've needed to leave a place, a situation, a relationship, a job, a church that is no longer healthy for you. Even if things had been all of those right things before. Despite all the difficulty that Joseph went through, he saw God at work in bringing his family into Egypt to be saved. All of what he experienced got him to the right place at the right time with the right person to be able to save them all. Egypt had been a place of salvation, a place where his family grew and had good opportunities. For a time, they thrived. And all of those generations later, Moses was in the right place at the right time with the right connections in order to bring the Hebrew people out of Egypt to save them. Egypt had become a place of oppression and enslavement. Their families were now being torn apart, forced to work without compensation, had become a place where their sons were being killed. It was long past time to go. Leaving behind places that had once been safe and good is something that I've reflected on a lot this year. I attended a retreat in February where we read the story of Moses and the burning bush. Many of the other participants talked about the bold things that God was calling them into and about the evil of Egypt. And the evil of Egypt is real, like don't get me wrong. But I was also stuck on the truth that Egypt wasn't always evil. And this podcast episode was kind of born out of that moment of reflection. Because I've been thinking about these past months, all that I have left behind as I have come out as bisexual. I left behind a certain type of safety and security that comes with being or seeming straight. I'm still straight passing, so I do carry privilege there. But by coming out, I'm living into my true identity, which is part of a community that is marginalized. I've left behind peace in certain relationships. I left behind an identity that I was happy in for the majority of the time and that served me well for decades of my life. I don't know that I ever made a conscious choice to go into the closet. But once I realized I was there, I knew I needed to come out. I'm still navigating in so many ways what it means to be a part of the LGBTQIA plus community. 
I'm learning more deeply the truth of intersecting identities and how we all have so many layers that make us up. I'm seeing diversity of opinion and nuance that at its best makes room for all and sadly also sometimes still casts people out. I'm finding my voice as a sibling within this community rather than an ally from the outside. And to be completely honest, I do sometimes wonder what my life would be like where I would be if I had come out sooner. I can tell you for certain that my pastor life would have taken a much different path. But at the encouragement of my therapist, I try not to spend too much time wondering about those what-ifs of the past. I can make a certain amount of peace with the past, but I can't change it. Instead, it is better to wonder and work for the future that I know God is calling me to. A future where I can stay my full self and where I can work to create a world where everyone else can be their full selves too. This is one of the ways in my life that I've experienced this going into and coming out of a sort of Egypt. I don't know what your Egypt is. I don't know what situations you've had to leave behind for good reasons or for hard reasons. I don't know the story of how you got into the place that you find yourself in right now. And I don't know the story of your exoduses either. But my guess is you have a story that's sort of like this. You might even be living it right now. As you reflect on your into and out of story this week, I hope you'll find new spots of grace and hope. Maybe you'll remember moments of joy when you first got into that place, meaningful relationships you experienced, milestones and accomplishments, things that you are thankful for. You'll likely recall the reasons that caused you to leave as well. If this reflection causes anxiety or memories of trauma, please reach out to someone you trust to process these feelings. If you don't feel like you have anyone to talk to, feel free to direct message me. Especially if the leaving was hard, I hope that you are able to find touchstones of health and hope in the new season that you've moved into. Wherever you find yourself on your journey today, heading into the right place at the right time, on your way out of a season that has passed or somewhere in between, Remember that God is with you and God loves you. You are loved as you are. God's love is not dependent on your job, your relationship status, your health, your body, or anything else about you. God loves you. And God's love goes with you. If you're on your way somewhere, God is in step with you. And if you're staying somewhere, God's love surrounds you. Always remember, God loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.
A prayer for the entrances and exoduses. God of salvation, you hear the cries of your people wherever they call out to you from. When Jacob's family was hungry, you led them into Egypt to be saved. When oppression and enslavement was breaking the Hebrew people down, you led them out of Egypt to be saved. We too know what it is like for a place of life and hope to become a place of death and despair. Be with us as we navigate the seasons and places of our lives. Grant us joy as we begin things anew. Grant us patience as we discern whether or not to stay. Grant us strength when it is time to go. Help us hold on to grace for ourselves and for all we meet along the way. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. If you heard yourself or someone you know in these stories today, we hope you heard God too. Tomorrow, Monday, September 26th, is APT's first Bible group on the women of Genesis. We're gathering on Zoom, and if you email me today, if you're listening on Sunday, you can still get on the list for the link. There'll be four sessions in total, all Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But if you can't make it tomorrow, it's okay. You can join in later. The material is connected, but not to the point that you'd be totally lost if you missed one. You're also welcome to invite a friend because I know that it can be intimidating to show up to a new place, even online, alone. And now while the podcast will be referenced, there's no pre-listening requirement. So assure your friends that they don't need to listen to the APT playlist from beginning to end. I mean, unless they want to. The link to sign up is on our Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also email me at allplacestogether at gmail.com if that works better for you. I'm ever grateful to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and supporters like you who have already shared generously with All Places Together. Your financial contributions enable this ministry continue to happen week after week. If you've not made a gift before and you'd like to, you can give through our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give to All Places Together. Click that button and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. We know that it can be hard to give financially. We celebrate all of the ways you share the stories of All Places Together with the people in your life and engage with the APT community online throughout the week. One of the most effective ways for All Places Together to reach more people is through your word-of-mouth recommendations. I hope you'll consider sharing this episode or another one that you've loved with someone that you care about. Until next time, remember that God loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.